0: I, uh, I want to talk about Living Pure this morning and just introduce it with a thing that it's my privilege at this season of life to be able to read quite a bit, and I enjoy that. Um, you know, when I was a student, I, there was so much reading that I just, I didn't have any desire to read anything beyond what was a text, and uh, I remember after leaving college, uh, there were a number of uh, months before I even picked up a book, and didn't read much even then, and then you, know, you get into your child raising years, and you know, it's uh, reading uh, books that <laughs> are less than meaningful to you, you know, Trevor the Train. Uh, you know, Dr. Seuss, you know, and it, th- that's pretty much it. And those years pass, trust me on this. But uh, even in that, uh, something I bumped into recently was that um, if I pick up a fiction book, I tend to like an action novel, uh, and I try to stay away from the sensuous just so I don't, my mind doesn't go down that path. But regularly I've been running into books that have an abundance of cursing and profanity, and it starts buzzing around in my mind, and I'm going, I I don't want that there. And it's been my privilege through life not to have to wrestle with that more than just a few seasons, where... um, if you're working in an environment where it's around you all day long, it's pretty hard not to have it in your mind. You know, to, to keep from verbalizing it as a victory, right? But my experience has been somewhat different. I've been able to live most of my life out of that environment. And so if if I do something that, that really brings pain, the first word out of my mouth isn't a curse. And, and I'm grateful for that. But to, to look at it now and go, okay, where's the balance point with this? You know, how to, how to stay engaged with a culture and yet at the same time not be profaned by it. And, and so that's kind of what I want to address this morning, go after for a bit. But I want to start in Romans 1 and we'll go from there. Says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people. In other words, God gets upset when when profane things are taking place on earth, and it's not just a stand back and watch, but it, his his anger gets expressed even in those situations. And, and so it's something that we can't just look at and say, well, he's ambivalent, or he'll deal with it later, or, you know, he's, he, uh, his long-standing impatience doesn't get involved. No, it just says his wrath is expressed against such things. It says against people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness, because what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain. See, one of the things I've been wrestling with when I when I walk through this process is am I allowing enough distracting noise to keep me from hearing the voice of God when he speaks? Am I allowing enough chatter, so to speak, white noise, to keep me from hearing what's, what's really important? And it's this passage, in a sense to me, is like, People in some ways they know who God is, they can see around him the effect of what he's done and what he is doing. And yet it's almost like the dimmer switch comes on and it's just starting that slide down and and, and light is leaving. And there's less and less clarity with what's around. And so, you know, it's eventually lights out, you know, and, and you're going, that's not a good situation. He says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. And so essentially it says, if we're looking, the invisible is understandable by what you see around you. That the visible is an expression that allows us to know the invisible. And if we'll look at it and, and there's a certain wonder and awe in our minds, it just goes, how is this all held together? And, and you start to, well, God has done something pretty amazing. But he, he goes on and he says, For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks. And they became futile in their thoughts, and sense, their senseless hearts were darkened. And all they, though they claimed to be wise, they became fools. So he's going, if we refuse to give honor to God for what he is accomplishing and has done, and if there's a failure of thankfulness to give it, to be given expression, there is an opportunity for us to just lose what we have. And there's a darkening, you know, that it's like the lights are going down, and you know we look at that and it says what happens is this there's an arrogance that comes into us that claims to be wise but really is becoming foolish that's a frightening thing right you know to there are moments when we catch glimpses of your, ourselves and we go i've been a fool it's not a happy moment right we're, we're kind of at this moment where we're just going, oh, I wonder if anybody else sees it. And of course they do. But it's like we're the last to admit what's going on. And in those moments of clarity, there's a horror that comes over us that goes, ah, I don't like this. But at the same time, it's that first step of getting out of the junk. You know, and it's, it's a valuable moment, but at the same, you know, it's that miserable thing that starts us saying, I've, I've got to be different, and I need to live different. But that loss of inaccurate self-perception is part of the darkness that comes into our lives when we're stepping into junk on a continuing basis. It says, they exchanged the glory of God, and this exchange is used twice, but they exchanged glory. In other words, we are made in the image of God, but they said they exchanged it for an image that resembled mortal human beings, or birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. When Paul's writing, all around him were idols. You know, it's not as much a, a visible idol that we have in our day. But in those days, it was just a part of the, the, the culture. And everywhere you went, there were idols. And he's going, why would you get caught up in that when you had the glory of God to, to understand and participate in? But he says, God gave them over to the desires of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And, and so there's a releasing You know, of the heart that's refusing to glorify God, the unwillingness to give him thanks, the failure to embrace truth. He says there's a turning over that God just says, okay, go it on your own. And what's discovered in that is that there's a profanity in our hearts that exceeds what, what we really want to even admit. And, you know, this, it says, he gave them over to the desire of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor themselves, and that impurity has a—it uh, has a, a context of sexual impurity, but it goes much more than that. It's like everything profane that's capable within our lives. In other words, it's like the interior. It's not an outward uncleanness. It's talking about what's inside of us. If God isn't giving us direction and, and, and changing our hearts. So ex- they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who is to be forever praised. So for this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. Women exchanged natural sexual relations. Men also abandoned natural relations. And they received the due penalty for their error. Now I think this is illustrative. I don't think that this is like the ultimate. I think this is one of the sins. And and if it was, if these verses were the only ones that spoke out against homosexuality and lesbianism, that would be enough. But there's others. But it's not as if this is the only thing. You know, it's, it's a declaration, this is wrong but it's an illustration. What he goes on to say really gets a hold of me. It says, just that they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what should not be done. You ever think of yourself as having a a, a perverted, depraved, twisted mind? It's not a pretty thought, is it? You know, to, to, to look at that and say, I'm kind of sick. Um, and yet, he goes on and he starts to define what he, what he looks at as being depraved. They're filled with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, and malice. Well, those are mainly spiritual or biblical terms and I'm going to say, oh yeah, that's, that's part of it. me too you know but it's it doesn't strike home as much but what follows is something that i can make a checklist with you know have you ever done this you start you start clicking them off here we go they're rife with envy ever been with filled with envy check that's that's one of the marks of a depraved mind Um, murder. Well, not that I've ever been caught. Uh, (laughs) no. But Jesus said if you call someone a fool, you've participated in that, right? So, a reluctant check. Um, strife. Ever been caught up in strife? Check. Deceit. check. Hostility? Check. Gossip? Check. Slandering? Check. Haters of God? I don't want to, I'm not admitting to that one. Haven't checked. The box on that one yet. Insolent? <laughs> Check. Arrogant? Check. Boastful? Check. Contrivers of all sorts of evil? Check. Disobedient to parents? Mine are gone now don't violate that anymore <laughs> but maybe in the past <laughs> check senseless <laughs> check covenant breakers check heartless check ruthless check 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 <laughs> you get the the idea Paul, in talking about what's depraved, lists things that all of us have been caught up in at one time or another. That's the bentness of a mind. That's the mind that needs being renewed. In this book, he's developing an argument. He's saying all of us have sinned. All of us have walked on this path. So how do you get back into relationship with a holy God who doesn't appreciate that? How do you get back in step with one who doesn't do those things? And and so what he's drawing us to is this awareness that we need the work of Jesus Christ to wash away our sin, to pay the price of that sin, to restore relationship with us. And we also need the work of the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth so that we don't have to keep continuing in these things. So he, he's laying out this argument, and you're just kind of going, okay, I get it. That's enough of that. Let's move on. But in the eighth chapter, he goes, For you will, if you live according to flesh, you'll die. He's just saying it's not a good choice. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So in talking about this eternal life, you have an opportunity by the Spirit of God to change what's going on inside. You have an opportunity to have him turn the light on, so to speak. It's your privilege to be transformed in a way that you can't do on your own. To get to the core issues. So, when I read that, I, I, I'm looking at that and I'm going, oh God, I want to live by your Spirit. In First Thessalonians 4, it says, for God called us, uh, has not called us to impurity but to holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So he says the call in the Lord is to Step into the holiness of God and to walk in His pathway and allow His Spirit to transform us. So, in that, I'm looking and saying, God is holy and pure in all things. Through Jesus, I can stand before God because of His purifying work. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can move toward holiness. I can have myself transformed. So when I read Psalm 51, this is a passage that that calls out to me because regularly I'm going, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Sorry, I memorized it in something else years ago. Do not reject me. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. There's this knowledge I don't want to lose his presence in my life. And there are times when I have to take on the things that are right in front of me and say, this has got to change. I don't want to lose what I've attained in him or what has been I've been privileged to receive. That knowledge that he speaks into our hearts and guides our steps, don't wanna lose that. David's calling out after one of his sinful seasons and he's going, Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Let me again experience the joy of your deliverance. Sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. (laughs) Place in me that will to do what's right. So I read that and I'm going, okay, what's my target? You know, if I'm committed to living a holy life before the Lord, what's that look like? What am I seeking to attain? You know, how do I define that? Well, in relationship to God and what we've read earlier, I want to live a life that glorifies Him. You know, to recognize is that He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. He is worthy of any adoration when I see something wonders. He, he is worthy of me thanking him for the goodness of what he's done in my life. And so there's, there's this regular recognition that my life should be calling out thanks unto him and gratefulness for his work in creation, in others, in myself as well. And then when I look at it, too, it's, it's a recognition that what Jesus has done is something that I couldn't do on my own. That I could not live well enough to stand before God, and yet through Christ there's an open door for me to do that. That he's saying my faith in the work of Christ and what he has done is sufficient for me to gain access to the Father. What an incredible thing. It takes that pressure off me saying that what I couldn't do, Jesus has accomplished. And so there's an honoring again that goes out to him. And then in regard to the relationship with God and knowing that he plants his presence in me when I come to him, And that there is opportunity for me to grow in that awareness and that understanding and the interaction with the Spirit. And so I'm going, let this grow. Let this be a part of me. Don't take your presence from me. Let me flourish within. Another part of the target for me is is looking at that and saying, Okay, my relationship with God, that's what I want, but then it comes into relationship with others. You know, how am I responding, and, and how am I living? Is it such a way that, in a sense, things like my speech, are they bringing up, or am I pulling down? Am I investing of myself into those lives? And even on a personal level, then, there's that targeting of saying, Am I developing the gifts and abilities that God has placed within me for his glory? Am I taking the things that he has established as a part of my life and saying, what you do is good, and you have given me everything that you say is appropriate for, to be a part of my life, and so am I using this for your glory? Am I honoring you in all of this? And then finally, in the way of targeting, I, I look at the whole thing of you've placed resources in my hands. Am I using them in honor of you? You know, if, if it's just like, if, say, in the area of money, if it's just a thing of accumulating for yourself, that's the the epitome of selfishness, right? And yet, in the Lord, there's a recognition that a grand, you know, he wants us to provide for ourselves, but he has also put enough in our hands to serve others and to care for others. And so we begin to sort out and say, what do you want done? How? Hold it loosely, in other words. Where should this be going? You wanna spend on my projects? You wanna spend on their projects? How do you want this used? So that targeting is something I look at and, you know, um, that's where I started to to get into even this thing of my reading, you know, and going, I know that good habits you want to feed, bad habits you want to starve, right? That's, (laughs) That's the way they make change. Feed the good, starve the bad. It's not all that complicated. But here's where it gets a little, here's the struggle. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Um, some of the other translations I, I like better. Um, Don't fool yourselves. Bad friends will destroy you. That's a contemporary English version. That's pretty plain, isn't it? Paul's quoting somebody. He's not quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting a a Greek poet from about 300 B.C. I I look at that because I'm going, he isn't trying to insulate himself from his culture. He's not trying to cut off everything around him. But he is certainly aware that truth gets spoken in a number of settings. And as long as it's truth, it's God's truth. So he plucks this out of something that had been written many years before, and he's using it. And the challenge, I guess, for us is saying, how much of the culture do I step into without profaning myself? And that comes down to individual decisions, right? Where at times you're going, this is feels like it's beginning to darken the room. And you're going, I need to step away from this. There are other times you're going, I need to understand this, and it actually will be used for good. And you have to sort through those things one by one. Some of you have, have, uh, well, Facebook's come and gone for some of you, right? I mean, you've, you've moved on to other platforms. But, I mean, that, that's been one of the things of recent years that can either consume time or, or just help it, right, for interaction. Um, when Nathan uh, got married, my son got married this last week in New Zealand, we couldn't get there, we watched it on Facebook Live. That was wonderful, you know, to at least have that. But it's the kind of thing, too, you're looking and going, there are ways to waste a whole lot of time with this or to get caught up in ego things of how many people liked what I wrote. You know, it, There are disgusting sides of it. And, and you have to kind of just begin to say, okay, but what's appropriate for me in this moment? Is it bringing light or is it bringing darkness? Is it the kind of thing that I'm stepping into health or I'm stepping away from it? And we walk through these things. So I, I'm looking at Paul's writing this, this verse, and he's talking about relationships, and he's saying, sometimes you've got to cut off some friendships, because it's, it, it'll bring destruction to you. But he's quoting from the culture. <laughs> and so he is, he is not disengaged. He's engaged in the culture, but at the same time, he knows there's limits and there are are pitfalls. That's where we're living, right? And so we look around us, and, and at times we're going, even with Christian brothers and sisters, there are times when we say, this is not a good relationship. In fact, it's bringing darkness into our lives. I'm convinced that every one of us has people that that we respond to in such a way that we follow, and there are others who follow us. And it's important to identify, am I following in this relationship or am I the lead? But even in that, there are times when you say, this is a really good person to follow. And so it's completely appropriate that I would walk in this direction. But there are other times that you're going, I feel dirty every time I walk away from a conversation with this person. I feel like I've been marked. And it doesn't have to necessarily have had anything to do with what we class as profane. But if it's not moving you forward in the Lord, the question is, should I be participant in this? As long as I'm on this, First Corinthians 50, 50 uh, I'd like to do a couple verses surrounding it before I close. Paul's making an argument. He says, I face death virtually every day. And, uh, you know, he he says that What's the benefit of that? You know, and he says, if the dead are raised, it's got everything. But there is a contrarian view for those who think that death might come tomorrow, and they say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There was a philosophy that day that said, you know what? We don't know if there's going to be tomorrow, so let's squeeze everything out of today that we can. It's happening in our culture too, right? That's not an uncommon thought. Grab everything you can because you don't know if there'll be a tomorrow. But Paul's saying that's contrarian. He says, I'm living for the future. I'm living for eternity. And he says, yeah, I'm facing death, but the way that I live is contrary to that mindset because I have something else in mind. I have that hope of the eternal. And so then he goes into this thing of, you know, he goes, um, choose your friends or, you know, bad company corrupts good character. And then he tells them, um, live soberly. So there's the contrast. You have eat, drink, and be merry. Might as well get drunk tonight because we don't know if we're going to live tomorrow. And he's telling them, uh, choose soberness because you have something more important ahead. And so we, we come into these cultural situations and we're going, I need to submit this before the Lord. What does he want? Like for me, I don't want those things buzzing around in my brain constantly. You know, so at minimum, it's time to back off or step away from that genre or, you know, whatever it is, it's just saying, I like what I've had. I don't want to lose that. And each of us has those situations. And if we're honest, God will give us the insights that we need, which is amazing that he would reveal truth to us, that he'd turn on the light, and then we have that option of choosing and responding. So I I just put that out, and I go, you can't step out of your culture. That's impossible. But you don't have to be overwhelmed by it. And you have the right in the Lord to say, what are your desires? And how do you see this thing? What is light in this situation? And with that, then, we walk into that light, rejoicing, rejoicing, in the goodness of God to reveal it to us. Amen. It's a gift of God that the depravity of your hearts is revealed at times and we see ourselves for who we really are. But we are never meant to stay in that shame or despair. A revelation of that is given to us by the Lord so that we can be transformed by his power and changed in other words when, when things are revealed in our lives and we say oh that's ugly it's an open door for us to receive victory in that area it's God opening the window and saying this can change what an awesome wondrous thing that is encourage you if you're if you are wrestling with a particular thing and you say I don't have victory find someone you trust say would you pray with me and you know just let's ask the Lord together that this will change to be want to pray for God's blessing upon you may your blessing rest on these people may they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives they discover with joy what it is to have the lights turned on and then to walk into health. As each one goes into the community, I ask that you give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom, gift them with the supernatural. We lift it up and exalt it, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.